you are listening to the Future of Now podcast. We share stories from technologists, futurists, and corporate rebels from across the globe that are shaping the way we work, driving innovation, and disrupting industry. Our goal with this podcast is to inspire you to explore new ways of working and opportunities for growth. I am Dan Levy. And I'm your host, Aki Maidamari, and we're from More Space for Light. In this week's episode, we are joined by Idan Mayer, Idan is the co-founder and CEO at Right Here, an advanced accessibility solution that allows people who are blind or visually impaired to acquire better orientation in public spaces. Hey, Idan, thank you for joining us on the Future of Now podcast. It's so great to have you here with me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Aki, for inviting me. So before we get into our conversation, I do have a question for you. <laughs> I heard you mention that inclusion starts with accessibility. But right. on a scale of 1 to 10, how accessible would you say that the worlds we live in are for those who are visually impaired? Wow. So, uh, yeah, well, it depends. The, the, the short answer is depends. Depends how, what, what world. The way I see it, the, we're kind of living in a, in a reality where we're basically kind of simultaneously, we have two worlds that we're living in. One is in the digital sphere and the other one is in the physical sphere. In the digital sphere, you know what, even before answering, I must say, you know, I'm not I'm not visually impaired myself. I'm not blind or visually impaired myself. I have well sight. So can I Giving you my answer to that what might not be the exact answer for that. It's probably better to ask you know, people was was visual impairment. But if if you know based on my understanding of the field, I feel that in the digital sphere we're kind of in a good position. It could be better. So from a scale from one to ten, I would say somewhere around seven. I hope something there, somewhere there. But in the physical sphere, we are way way in a lower rate grade with that. I think two or three something like that i mean we're really really when you think about it so for a, per- a person who's blind or visually impaired if you would go online right to a website many chances that this website is already accessible for him or about to be accessible for him like the awareness feels like it's already there uh, for those listeners who don't know people who are blind or visually impaired using uh, screen readers softwares which allow them to basically read everything that is on the screen uh, in the digital sphere as i said earlier whether if it's in a website a document or anything else they by the way one of our team members is a software engineer so they can also develop the code themselves right so it's just the, it's, it's just it, that's accessible but on the other side on the physical environment which we are all living in if you ever had the thought okay how, how about a person who's blind entering a certain venue it's always with somebody effectively it's always with somebody i mean we can find some tactile paving on the ground uh, we can find sometimes braille signage around us but effectively these audience is still going anywhere out and about with with another person guiding them and maybe it's it's a good a good timing to kind of share with you two interesting facts i think that i always gonna share one is that, uh, according to our research, in the USA alone, there is over 100 million Braille signs uh, everywhere you go. From the smallest stores to the biggest hospitals or airports, you'll find Braille uh, signage, uh, you know, in, in the restrooms, in the elevator, and, you know, in different uh, points of interest. And the second fact is that over 90% of the blind community do not know to read Braille. 
Did you know that? Act- I did not know that. I did not know right. that at so all. Most people don't yeah. know that. Yeah. So if you're if you're yeah. meeting, if one of our listeners is, is meeting a, a blind person today, 90% chance that this guy won't know to read Braille. Mm. So, and if they, by the way, if they do, they have to know where the sign is to actually read it, right? Because they need to kind of touch right. it. Right, so yeah. yeah. The sign is even there. And if they're lucky enough to read Braille, because they learned that, and if they're lucky enough to know where the sign is, then they have to be very brave to actually want to touch it because, again, mm. it's COVID-19 outside. You don't necessarily want to touch public surface. <laughs> and if they do that, the amount of information is very limited because the amount of information you can put into Braille, again, is limited. And I haven't talked about language barriers. So all in all, this is just not effective. I mean, it's everywhere, but it's just mm. not effective. And therefore, most, if not all, people who are blind and visually impaired mostly go with another person, which means they're not fully independent. And, and and by the way, talking about, and this is just the last sentence about that, talking about, you know, what I said, inclusion start with accessibility. You know, when you think about accessibility in, in SCORE, it's all about providing independence, right? At the end of the day, it's all about providing independence. So this is, I mean, you know, this is, this is why we've turned the digital sphere so accessible. So any person could independently be able to access the information. Uh, and in the physical world, again, if that person is relying on others to go out and about, it's a big barrier of, of an inclusive society. Think about, you know, in employment, just one one side of life. Even if the desk is fully accessible with all the softwares as any as, a, as an employer, right? And with all the softwares and the best screen readers, softwares installed and all that's great. But if that person, that employee won't be able to go to the restrooms himself, he won't necessarily mm-hmm. go to the work in that office. Right. So you have to make sure that not just the laptop or, or, you know, the digital sphere is accessible in your business uh, to be able to employ, uh, but also the other aspect of it. And a big part of it, as we're all still humans, is and not robots, is, is the physical space. That was a long answer to a wonderful question to begin with. <laughs> no, that was great. That was very insightful. Actually, just from that alone, I realized when you think of people who are visually impaired, you think that, oh, if you provide them with braille that means that whatever you're trying to show them is accessible and yet because you've just told me that not everybody can read braille i assume similarly to sign language there's different languages with braille is that similar as well correct correct so yeah and and you know what this is a good good uh, that's a good point because you know what we're going to discuss about what we're doing it right here maybe later but you know it's at the end of the day language barriers in general are still sometimes barriers in orientation wherever you go out and about, right? So I'm currently talking to you from uh, Israel. There are, we have a lot of public spaces here that all signage there are only in Hebrew. So if you're not able to read Hebrew, Aki, do you, by the way? <laughs> no, absolutely no, huh? not. I guess I guess that. So if you'll if you <laughs> if you'll visit that type of location, that could be a mall, for example, and you see perfectly, right? So and and you read perfectly. By the way, there's uh, some of our users, and again, we're going to discuss about right here later. But some of them not necessarily have visual impairment, but the cognitive, you know, disability. So like dyslexia, because they won't be able to read it, even if they can see it. But still, the language barrier is still in a lot of scenarios could be an orientation challenge. And this is what we're focusing on. So, yeah, with Braille, it's, it goes the same. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, like you said, you know, we'll 
get more into right here and what you guys do and how you guys started. But in a nutshell, what was your life like growing up? Like, what was your childhood? How did you come to be the marvelous human being that you are? <laughs> oh, no, come on. Well, good. I had a, I had a good childhood or the happy child, I think. I was curious a lot uh, and I love facing challenges. I think it just, at, just at the age of 23, Three or so, I kind of realized uh, the entrepreneur inside of me because I they never used that word entrepreneurship or entrepreneur or anything like that. And like, but but ever since I remember myself, I've had these projects. Even as a small kid, I'm building this project in my room. It's gonna be a spaceship or whatever. Or or in a more adult life, right? So I always had this initiatives and and, and I call them just project. Some of them also had, you know, a business aspect around it in one way or another, but I never really called it as a startup company or as a company in general or, or as an entrepreneur myself. I just, I think I realized that just about the age of 23 or 24, about 10 years ago. And I think it was about the time where, where I feel like it's kind of become cool to be entrepreneur, I guess. Like all of a sudden, everyone are entrepreneurs, everyone are kind of building their own startup. And I kind of Hey, but I've been working on this for years, and and like I didn't know I'm I'm like that's the, that's the the way to call it. So, anyway, yeah, I think I had a good uh, good childhood, and and part, I think a big part of my life is is kind of trying to find a challenge and and working on something that haven't been exist before, and and see if it's, if it could, <laughs> kind of like a magic, I guess. So you grew up in Israel, is that right? Yes, I grew up here in Israel in a city called Ranana. It's uh, about 20 minutes from the Tel Aviv, uh, like the whole country, basically. But uh, it's a small, quiet city. Yeah, I'm still living here in this city. And I went to the army, just like everyone here has to go at the age of 18. Uh, and then after the army, I kind of traveled the world a little bit, in, mostly in the east. Uh, the far east is China and Thailand, Laos, Cambodia. Vietnam, all that area. I, I, I kind of traveled there independently by myself as a backpacker for about a half a year. And then, uh, yeah, I came back to Israel. I kind of started to study business and psychology, the Open University. Uh, and alongside that, I was already working on different ideas that I had, different projects that I had. Eventually, one of them became to be right here. But yeah, that's kind of mm -hmm. my life in a nutshell, I guess. So kind of building on that I want to talk about the people who may have influenced you in your life, but they do say that you're shaped by the five closest people around you. Who do you think are those five people, or if there are more people, who have influenced you on your personal or professional journey? Yeah, wow. <laughs> first, I, I must say, I totally agree with this. That's a good question. So one that first came to mind is my grandfather. He passed away two years ago, and he had like an endless optimism. Really, like he was a Holocaust survivor, and he's kind of also kind of built a lot of things by himself, like a like a part of his house basically. So like really kind of built his own life in a way by himself, and he had this just endless optimism uh, and positivity. So that really influenced me as a child uh, and also in more adult life, knowing that you know again these challenges I'm facing uh, or playing with are just jokes, right? Are just not, are just really nothing. You know, when you compare them to the challenge that he been able to kind of face with. And, you know, even in the time where it's getting most challenging or getting more most hard and, and frustrating, keeping that optimism is a 
really great, I think, skill that I've been able to develop thanks to him. So uh, like watching him as a child, you know, doing what he's doing, it was a great influence to me. I miss him a lot. And and another another person, I think that maybe kind of, you know, from my professional life, I, I mean, five would be hard to think about five, but I kind of I'll share with you two. So this is one, one, you know, first from like most of, like, I would say from, from the personal general life influence. The other one is more of the professional lives, I would say, of mine. His name is Leo, Leo Weinstein, if you're listening to us, so thank you. And he he really mentored me in the very early days of, you know, wanting to take these ideas and projects into a real company, a real startup, a real business. And one, one of the reasons he, I think, he influenced me the most is because he done the most simplistic thing a baby could be done, but was still the most important one, which is just believing in me. I think that that was the most most important thing that I kind of needed that time. Someone who will, you know, look at your eyes, uh, listening to you and, you know, believing you saying, all right, you, you can definitely do that. I mean, you, you can do that. I believe in you. Go ahead. I'm here with you. Like, let, let's go and conquer the world. So, yeah, I think and I think that's super important for every entrepreneur that may be now listening to us in his early, early days. Finding that mentor, by the way, he's, he's probably the only one I'm calling mentor. I mean, there's a lot of mentors out there, right? So that's great. But I'm not calling all of them mentors. Uh, they might be good advisors, good friends, good, you know, people. But for to be able to call them a mentor, they need to have something more unique, in my opinion. And and finding that I would really recommend for those who are listening to us, finding that person who has the experience, of course, and knowledge of the specific domain, but is also willing to help you grow and succeed without any interest aside of wanting you to grow and succeed. That, and that's what I felt and I still feel from Leo, and this is why I kind of uh, call him as a mentor. He believes in me and he really wants me to succeed aside of anything else. So that's a, that's a pure privilege. <laughs> that's so wonderful. I 100% agree with that. I really think that when you have somebody who truly believes in you, it's quite a different experience because I think at, you're the hardest critic of yourself. You are always able to you know, tell yourself that you can't. You're always going to give yourself a reason why you right. can't do something. Yeah. And by the way, that that could be leading to some, you know, even hard truth in the face sometimes. Right. So I'm believing you. You can do that. But hey, I don't think that's going to work. I mean, things like that. Uh, but knowing I mean, the core, knowing that he's coming into the, the conversation with a pure will to help, regardless of, you know, want to earn anything out of it or, you know, direct you into any direction that it has some sort of an interest behind it. That's a great, great thing to have. And, and I think super important. Absolutely. Speaking of your professional journey, so now you're at Right Here, you co-founded it, and it's quite an interesting company. But how did Right Here come to be? Yeah. So, you know, I used to say we got into this by an accident, I used to say, but but in the past, I don't know, two years, I'm saying that we came to that with a lot of luck. So so it's not, it wasn't an accident. It was a lot of luck around it. So our story begins with, you know, so so as I told you, we had this, me and a good friend, Gil, we had different ideas that we worked, wanted to kind of work on and wanted to build a company that, you know, do something in the world. 
some impact. In the very beginning, we were doing something totally different than what we're doing today. And again, I'm going to explain more about what we're doing today in a sec. But in the very beginning, we had this idea of providing personalized coupons in the mall whenever you enter to a store. Right. So imagine, Aki, that you're entered to, uh, I don't know, whatever store, Zara, for example. And once you're there, uh, you'll get a personalized uh, coupon on, I don't know, a shirt. Uh, but this coupon is valid as long as you're inside the store. So at the moment you get outside of the store, it's vanished for good. So you cannot have that coupon any anymore. So you have to decide as you're in the store kind of now or never shopping experience, we call it. Uh, and we work on that for about And I still when I talk about it, it still feel like it's a cool idea and when we work we work about it for about a year with some pilots around that we have the you know the app and after a year we realized that we're working great together that we have a great technology in hands which i probably elaborate later but the proposed wasn't enough because as i said before we were trying to make some impact some something unique something worthwhile i would say in the world and with all due respect, you know, giving people discounts in stores wasn't enough for us. It's not a bad thing or anything, right? It's obviously great, but it just wasn't enough. And and this startup journey, we already realized that it's not an easy journey. It's a very hard one. So we thought, okay, if we're planning to climb this mountain, would that would be worthwhile at the end of it? Aside of, you know, an exit uh, scenario or any other financial scenario that could be there as well. And obviously the answer wasn't, no, it wasn't enough. So we thought to think, okay, what else can we do as a team and with this technology? And then we kind of ran a hackathon around that with, with the technology. We kind of invited some designers and, and developers and other you know, creative people for 24 hours and show them what we have in, you know, as, as, a, as a technology in hand. And kind of it was a hard, or it's intensive, not hard, like an intensive brainstorming. And at the end of it, we thought, okay, if instead of giving you a coupon when you enter to the store, we'll just let you know what store it is, you know, if that's Zara, as in from, from our example before, that could be very worthwhile or, or, or valuable for a blind person. So, we immediately started to talk with people who are blind or visually impaired, and they were like, wow, oh my God, this is like unbelievable, because we already had some, you know, the technology ready for that, right? So we did very small tweaks. And all right, so now we know that it, we kind of hit something in terms of the user base, but we wanted to make also a big business around it. So we thought, okay, what if those who will pay for it won't be the users, but the venues that will install that, right? The Zara of the world who will install that. Let's talk to them. And the very first five that we were talking to turned to be customers right away. So, okay, we definitely had something there as well. And that wasn't like a small businesses at all. Like it was like universities and, and malls. So we definitely realized that we hit something and we kind of, you know, sharpened the whole vision around it of what Twitter here is basically doing. And one of the reasons this idea came to us in that hackathon is that for me, myself, I'm always getting lost. This is like a, another big part of my life. Wherever I go, I'm getting lost. Again, as I said, I have great sight, but still I think like I'm missing this <laughs> GPS chips in, in my head. I kind of just don't have that I functionality that. really. I, I get that. You know? I relate yeah. to that. Yeah. <laughs> So when I go with my wife to, uh, you know, when we travel to a certain hotel, I can just, you know, for a week and at the same place, 
it doesn't matter every time I'll go out of the room, I'll turn right for the elevator, although it's left and things like that. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I will always get lost. So that's a pain, right? It's kind of my own pain as well. And I thought, okay, if we'll be able to solve that pain for those who have the hardest pain of that, right? Although the biggest challenge around orientation, it's probably going to solve my own pain down the road. So this is where I kind of feel the, the personal connection to what I'm doing. And of course, the, the, the purpose behind it. I mean, I truly, as, as you said in the beginning, I truly believe that inclusion started with accessibility and, and having an inclusive world is, is, is definitely worth pursuing goal to, to work on. If you were to briefly describe what Right Here is to somebody who doesn't know what your company is, how would you describe it? Wow. Well, the shortest description I came came with, you know, with the fastest elevator pitch, if 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 you may, right? Almost in two words, is a, a ramp for the blind, basically. But in more words, it's basically an audible wayfinding system, like an a, a virtual orientation assistant, if you may, that uh, speaks to you and describes you the environment wherever you go, uh, and giving you the independent, ultimately to go confidently wherever you like to go, whether it's outdoors or indoors. And most of our focus is in the indoor environment where there is no GPS, right? And that's with a lot of accessibility by design in mind. So we're mostly focusing on on the audience of people with hard orientation challenges rather than the mainstream. And I think that's also what I think differentiates us uh, a lot from from the mainstream type of solution. So generally speaking, if, if I'll give the example of, of, you know, of the outdoor navigation, for example, with Google Maps and Apple Maps, which has obviously great, great apps, usually the, the accessibility layer come at the end. So they kind of develop the app for the mainstream. And then like in the end of the process of developing it, oh, it also has to be accessible. So now they do some tweaks so it could be also accessible. In our case, the accessibility is by design. That's build it for this type of audience and we're working hard that ultimately that could be as easy to use or and as an inclusive and universal for everyone else to use it so just a different approach for the same challenge i think and yeah basically uh, it's an app as i said it's a free app on android and iphone uh, that users can download and it, it will help them outdoors to reach a certain destinations in the area. Uh, and then in the indoor environment itself, to let them information about where they are, what is there, what's around them, uh, and other functionalities like being able to call for local assistant, for example. So if you're in that big Zara store again, and you need someone to help you, instead of you know going online to Google, search for Zara, search for that store, search for, you know, their phone number and all that, you're basically going to have, a, you have a phone number or a button that you click on and then it will make the, the call with the relevant person at that store. And that, by the way, as I said, that kind came from the accessibility perspective, but I truly think that unique feature is relevant for everyone. I mean, that could be a person entering that to the store and already feeling, you know, his heartbeat you know, faster and faster and feel like you need some help. So not necessarily from accessibility, but from like an emergency aspect as well. I guess when you have your vision, it's very straightforward. Like you see something, you know exactly what you're looking at, what's around you. When you're visually impaired, how much detail do you, or have you come to understand that visually impaired people need in order to fully understand the environment that they're in and safely feel like they can autonomously move around? 
Right. And and this is, you know, one of our challenges. It, 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 it used to be a bigger challenge when we just started. And now it's still a challenge. But for, first, I would say, you know, we kind of believe in the mantra that nothing about us without us. So we work really closely with with our with our audience, with our users, with the community and talking together with them of what type of descriptions and what should be included in the information and what shouldn't be because you don't want to bombard your users with just not relevant information as well. But on the other hand, there is some crucial information which you have to put into. And I'll give you just an example. Think about, you know, automated sliding doors, right? With automated sliding doors, if you won't mention that this is an automated sliding doors, the person might just miss it and won't understand where is the entrance here, right? They're very quiet these days, so you, really, you can literally just miss it. And Or if it's another type of door, if it's a revolving door, so what type is it going through, right? If it's a clockwise or otherwise. So, so this type of, of, you know, of nuances is provided through the app. We also give some level, I would say today, we're about to put into that even more, but some level of settings for the user so he can decide what type of information he'd like to hear and what isn't relevant for him. But yeah, describing, you know, there's uh, there is uh, audio descriptions for movies. You might have heard about that. Like, so, so movies in the theater could be audio described for a person who is blind or for the blind visually impaired community in general. And so there's a lot of know-how of how to describe the movie, right? So now there is, a you know, the car, he's entering the car, right? Or things like that, like the, the, the engine is starting, things like that, right? But for the the physical space for the environment, the audio descriptions for the, the built environment is now just being developed. So it's not like it's not like a very big know-how that we already have as on other fields of life. It is just being uh, there are some global standards that are now being developed as well as part of it. Um, the Wayfinder and other organizations that work in the field. But yeah, that's and and, there, and when you put into that, by the way, the complexity of different environments. Uh, so it's one thing, you know, with was train station, uh, and another thing was a small, you know, store. And you put into that, you know, the complexity was sometimes, you know, languages again. How do you structure the information in different languages? Also, so it can get complex. But but there is different. I think I think it's going to be kind of evolve more and more in the next few years. And I feel like we're already having good and good enough at least good enough way to address that. What is that technology called specifically that is being used? Right. So so the technology we're, we're currently working with is the iBeacon technology. It's basically the whole system that we have is, has three main components. One is the app, as I mentioned. Secondly is the beacons, which are basically BLE, Bluetooth Low Energy Devices, that we install at, in the building. Thanks to these beacons, we can identify the user position. Uh, and the third component is an online dashboard in the cloud, which allow us to configure all these beacons and, and audible descriptions that later will be displayed. Basically, these beacons, all, done, all, all of these devices are doing is basically transmit a signal with a unique ID that we uh, know how to transform into valuable information for our users in, again, their own languages. So this this technology, when we started, that was a very, like the very beginning of it. I think we were the, among the first hundred companies in the world to, to kind of put our hands on it. It originally started in Apple. This protocol iBeacon is started in Apple. These beacons are used for different uh, use cases, uh, a lot in retail and couponing as we started uh, and others for, you know, wayfinding and, and, and tracking and things like that. I use for, again, for the accessibility, I think 
at the beginning was quite unique today there are others also kind of using that for these purposes yeah and i think I, even as we're currently speaking that's probably the most accurate and cost effective i would say off the shelf type of solution out there so if you want to turn your store accessible tomorrow that's probably the fastest accurate way and affordable way to do that although again there are different technologies being developed also it right here for the next generations. But yeah, that's that's what what's the that's basically the tech behind it. I did see a video. It was you and your co-founder, and there was another woman, and she was walking around and showing us how it works. But is that typically the testing and the research process that you go through when you were developing right here? Yes. So the the, the other person. So yeah, it was Gil, uh, my dear co-founder, and Tali yes. Sanetsky, which I hope she's listening as well, because uh, she is also a very big inspiration for us in the development. She was among the very first users who we met with. Basically, she like she taught us so much about this world. And yeah, every I would say every new feature or every development, or even from the strategy side of things, not necessarily even on the product, even from the marketing and, and other aspects of our vision, we're consulting with, with our community. We have a very active community, mostly here in Israel. Most of our activity has been here in Israel in the past few years. And we've been running, we're still running fully bootstrap. We are uh, profitable and, and cash flow positive and growing, but it's all done fully bootstrap. We might talk about this part later. But uh, because of that, we've been mostly here in Israel and we have a very kind of vibrant community here. So every step we're doing is together with them. And it's very interesting. I mean, you, you see differences bet between them as well. I mean, it's, there are some expectations for pe from people who are totally blind, other expectations for people with, you know, some sight impairment. Uh, and other expectations from, from people that have great sight, but other orientation challenges. As I said, it could be this, you know, uh, cognitive, like dyslexia. It could be uh, even mental, by the way. We've even heard about users who use the app from mental reasons like agoraphobia, fear of going to large and public spaces. So it's a fascinating process, I must say. We learn a lot from that and we're doing mistakes as well. I mean, I know that sometimes we're making mistakes with the, the features that we decide to put into and then we have to kind of kill this feature even when it's hard because you can see that there are some that are using it very much but most of the users are not so those who get it love it but the others are not so you kind of have to make a decision do we keep it for those who love it but it's kind of in a way disrupting all the others or or not so it's kind of these type of hard decisions to make hopefully we're doing it right <laughs> can you speak on an example Sure, sure. So I'll share with you a feature that now we haven't decided yet, but we're, we're, we're thinking hard on is the sky mode feature that we have. The sky mode is basically a feature uh, that allows our users to go straight into the wherever like they like to go. So think about, again, a point of interest that could be uh, the restaurants, for example, that are uh, 100 meters far for example, on the direction of north, okay? So, okay, you're here, you wanna go uh, to the north for 100 meters, but since you don't see, you might kind of slide to the right, slide to the left, you're not necessarily gonna go straight ahead. So to be able to help you with that, we developed this feature called Sky Mode, which basically, uh, if you turn your, your smartphone from an horizontal hold to a vertical hold, Okay, you'll be able to hear the, the, the direction all the time. And each time you kind of slide to the right or to the left, it will kind of correct you or vibrate to you. You're, you're sliding to the wrong direction you, you propose to. So it's going to help you 
keep on a straight line in a, in a long distance journey. That's a great feature. There are those who get it, how to kind of move the, the device from an horizontal hold to a vertical hold, kind of love it. But many users don't understand that. Don't understand how that they need to turn it from a, a, a horizontal hold to a vertical hold. And because of that, they kind of, you know, fight with it. Look at what happened. So not to say we need to kill this feature, but just maybe fix it in a different gesture or, or in a different way. But yeah, that's that's just that's one example of, of you know, the UX, I would say, challenges that we have. And there's a lot of, you know, it's very interesting to, to design a user experience that is mostly based on voice and audio when you think about it, right? Because when you write down on, you know, on the whiteboard of different wireframes, it's Okay, but the, it doesn't gonna hear that way. It's gonna hear it differently. So you kind of need to write wire them on the whiteboard with your ears rather than you with your eyes, which is a challenge by itself. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'll actually come back to that because it ties in really well with the question that I have for you. But was there a moment that felt like it was a really big failure for you, but actually turned out to be an important lesson that you needed to learn? Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, we're failing all the time with with, uh, with right here in a lot of areas, right? It's, I'll give you an, an example. We were failing to think about it two, two and a half years ago that we will be able to expand our activity in, in, in the status that we had that back then as a you know early stage bootstrap startup that mostly been doing what they're doing in Israel, we were failed to think that we could expand it to bigger markets at the time with the resources that we had and the understanding that we had. Uh, and while we would try that and went to different conferences and made different connections and tried different things, we, it basically failed. We didn't we didn't really manage to 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 expand uh, substantially to other markets at the time. And we kind of we work hard on that. And and now, by the way, specifically after COVID nineteen, where it's kind of felt like the whole world kind of shrinked a bit because it's all now virtual calls it wasn't like that just two years ago i just remind all the listeners it wasn't like that only i mean we had this conference calls for forever but it wasn't that common that you'll take the virtual call you'll say hey you know what come visit us you know if you want if you're serious and yeah well coming is great but from israel all the way to australia or to new york or to wherever it's uh well that's a challenge so and also i th i feel like the market itself the awareness around accessibility and inclusion as it is today wasn't like that it just even two or three years ago uh, it might surprise some of the listeners but uh, if there is a really acceleration of the the awareness around the importance on that, just by following Microsoft, for example, how much they, you know, dedicated and, and, and invested in accessibility in just in the past two years, it's incredible. It's, it's nothing like it used to be before. So yeah, I feel like that was back then kind of failure, but today I feel like it was also kind of a, a, a lucky failure in a way, because I feel that our opportunity today is bigger than it used to be back then. I feel like we're smarter than we used to be. We're now penetrating market in a way more efficient and effective way even in australia these days by the way which is very very exciting we have we're kind of building up our, our first team there so uh, matt levy and Gidon, we if you're listening it's great that you're with us so yeah so you didn't mention australia and then i know that you are also in the us so it's israel us and australia 
Are there other countries at the moment? So yeah, yeah, we have great activity. Actually, the second most active market where we now have after Israel is France. We have a partner there called Incluneo is doing an amazing work. We have over 100 locations there. Totally globally, we're around 2000 locations worldwide that we've turned accessible with our system. Uh, we're very proud of that because that's a lot of locations. It's still like nothing of what we're expecting to be or want to be as a vision. Because ultimately, we'd like every place to be accessible. And obviously, there are way more than 2,000. But it is it is significant. And I think we're basically leading our own category with the number of locations at the moment. So we're proud of that. So yeah, outside of Israel, there is there is France as is second active. And then we are now building teams both in Australia and in Canada. And in the US, we have some activity. I, kind of, I would say we haven't penetrated yet, but... There are more and more work that's being done there. And in other markets, we've just recently completed a project in Dubai, which for Israel is it's very exciting. You know, we didn't have peace with them just up to I don't know, a year ago. Uh, and we already have some progress there. I visited Dubai about uh, half a year ago, uh, and I had this exciting moment uh, in that conference called Jidex. I met a person who, who is uh, who is blind, and I was during that conference, you know, just in the hall, and I'm like, "Hey, you have to go go to our booth and hear what we're doing. You're gonna love it." And he said, "What's your name of the company?" We said, "I said right here." Yeah, I came to the conference to meet you. I was like, oh, do you know about us? Yeah, I'm following you like over two years now. Here's the app. I'm I'm using it. And I was like, oh my god. I mean, like, see, I mean, I, I can. It was a really exciting moment for me because you see that at the end of the day, you know, the basics needs that we all need to have as humans is among like is over any you know boundaries or borders. Like, wow, we're making something that is impactful regardless of nationalities or, or anything else and and you know what I, one more thing maybe to mention here because I, I, I understand that a lot of the listeners are entrepreneurs one of the huge advantages of working on something that is have truly impact or truly you know proposed behind it is that in hard years like COVID-19 2020 for example you know when you have a vision or mission that is beyond the business just beyond the business. It's not about making another sale because of the money or anything like it's beyond that. It's because we are truly changing people's lives. You know, that's a huge, huge advantage, really. I don't I think that if we do, we wouldn't have that, right? If we we're back then in, in the couponing type of experience in, 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 in malls and most malls were closed, we were basically loathing or shutting up the business. Right. Because you have no reason. I mean, everyone is kind of canceling. And but if you have a vision that is bigger than that. So first, sometimes customers will just keep keep with you because they believe in the bigger mission here. And secondly, even if they won't, you will keep your tenacity and, and, and you know, persistent and optimism, which we discussed earlier, because the vision is just worthwhile. So absolutely. I think that's such a such a great point. And I, I really like that you were talking about scalability and the way that your business is going, because I do have a question. Well, two questions sure. related to that, actually. So, and I'll read this quote I read in the Forbes article, and it is, and I quote, tech never has been able to penetrate the blind community to help in a scalable way. After decades, the cane is still the primary tool. So, the first question from that is, do you agree with the statement? 
yes and no. Yes and no, actually. Uh, let's start with the yes. I think that the, the white cane is, that doesn't sound like the most sophisticated technology, right? I mean, it just, I can't. But, but based on what I've been heard from our users and a lot of friends who are, who are blind or visually impaired, this is by far the, the best option they, they had to work with, right? In terms of avoiding obstacles. So, yeah, that's, yeah, I do agree because it's not necessarily a tech. So it kind of feels like that's all we've been able to do as humanity, right? And I do feel like that for this challenge of avoiding obstacles, again, this is specifically avoiding obstacles, this type of technology is the best we could come up with. And I think it's good. I mean, what is the best technology we've been able to come up with for in the built environment for people in wheelchair? Well, ramp, that's not very sophisticated, but it's still very, very useful and effective, not, by the way, just for people on wheelchairs. So, so from that aspect, I do agree. But on the other hand, I do think that there's a lot of technologies that been able to be very scalable and reach to to these audiences as well. As I said in the beginning, I kind of divide the world into two spheres, the digital and the physical. So in the digital, absolutely. I mean, in the digital, this whole, you know, smartphones revolution is even a bigger, I think, revolution for these audience, for the blind, visually impaired. Think about newspaper, right? So before smartphones, you probably never saw a newspaper in Braille, right? So you're basically out of the game. You're basically out of the circle. You haven't heard what happened yesterday on the news because it wasn't in Braille. And, and it, we already know the, the statistics about Braille. But you basically had no way to read the news, right? You just had to watch TV or listen to the radio. And with the smartphone revolution, yes, you can read the news. It will read it out to you out loud. So think just about that. That's that's unbelievable. And from the social aspect, right, so being part of the forums, whether Facebook or social media, being part of the conversation because it's all accessible, this is a tremendous, you know, improvement, progress that we've made. And this is technology that reached the user's benefit eventually. So, yeah, I think and I think part of it is I think is also the business model. So a lot of times there is uh, people in the tech industry tend to think about technology as the technology itself, period. But the technology is just part of the offering, part of the solution. The whole offering, the whole package, the whole product has other parameters to take a look into, like pricing, like marketing. So I think one of the reasons that there is a lot of, the, again, from the digital sphere, it's so scalable and so uh, helpful is because users almost don't need to pay anything for it. Uh, they just, you know, open up CNN or website it is and, and read the news because they already have their screen reader built in. For example, in smartphones, it's built in. In uh, iPhone, it's called voiceover. In Android, it's called talkback. It's built in. And for those who are curious, just go to the settings and you'll find accessibility there and you'll find it there which will basically turn your whole smartphone into voice-based. So do that with caution because it's, it's kind of hard to get used to it. But yeah, that's, so yeah, that's, that's, so I kind of agree. And on the other hand, not so. <laughs> yeah, with the cane, like you were saying, you know, sometimes simple tools are the best and it's often hard to find tools that can replace something that was originally made with, with the best intentions and that leads into my second question, which is in which mm -hmm. something that you talked about earlier with developing features that might not be helpful for everyone. But do you think that there's examples of other kinds of tech that have 
been developed in good faith, but are actually harmful or just unhelpful to the visually impaired? Well, for sure there are some, but maybe back to the point I kind of kind of hint earlier. I think, uh, you know, with the whole offering perspective of what what is the solution, not necessarily the technology. So, for example, it's right here, very early in, in, in our journey, we made it clear to ourselves that this solution is going to be 100% uh, free to our users. Why? Because they don't need to pay for the world to be accessible. It's a duty as society, as companies, as as governments, as institutions. It's a duty as society to make sure that it's all inclusive for everyone. Just like, again, back to the metaphor of the wheelchair and the ramp. Have you ever saw a, a, a person on wheelchairs paying to use the ramp? Of course not. Have you ever saw a person or wheelchairs paying to use the elevator, even if it's more sophisticated? Of course not. We want them to feel included. So who is paying for this ramp or, or elevator? The venue, the facility that is interested in welcoming more people because it's doing good for their business and doing good for their brand or for, for you know whatever cause they have. So Deciding that, you know, this motto that our users don't need to pay for the world to be accessible is, I think, a good example because it's not that common. Uh, when we entered this uh, game or to this uh, sector, we've saw and we still see a lot of different technologies that ask users, the end users to pay and pay a lot, even pay a lot for these type of solutions. By doing so, we kind of maintain the perception that they need to pay for it. It's their problem. It's not our problem. It's their problem. They don't see. So they need to pay for it. I think that's harmful. I think that's harmful. I think that's wrong. And and I think, uh, and you know what, for, for the common people, they don't necessarily to think about it through. So, you know, without mentioning names and, and companies, but you can see different brands that kind of following that different options of, okay, so we, let's have that solution that and every blind person would like that, we'll pay for it and let's do this. And okay, so we've seen that also happening online, right? You can find online different, and there's a lot of noise around it actually nowadays in the accessibility domain about different overlays uh, type of solutions online that claim to help businesses being ADA compliant or, or, you know, accessible by law, but eventually not really doing that for, for the user. And there's a kind of gap. They're kind of serving the businesses, so you'll be accessible. But for the end users, well, it's not really solving the problem of accessibility there. So it's kind of it's kind of another effect of, of technology that if they're, I think, not deeply connected to the end users and, and to this other mantra, I said nothing about us without us they might miss and we will eventually all, I think, as society will hurt from that. So uh, putting the principles in the right positions is important. It's not easy, by the way. It's not easy, but uh, but I think it is important and worthwhile. I think it's a really important point that you brought up. And it's not only with visually impaired or disabilities and things like that. It's even with just everyday people. A lot of times you find companies will put out products or services or something that they believe that people need without approaching the actual audience first and without any user testing or without any research or without actually confirming that it's something that the people actually need. And when you have your vision, it's so hard to empathize with somebody who doesn't. And it's so hard to empathize with somebody who doesn't right. have certain senses. And I, 
the, the only way to really do that is to talk to the people, you know, who, who don't have them yeah. and understand the world. Yeah. From their perspective you know and specifically i feel like there's a lot of patronism in our in our domain right so like people like companies and, and you know organizations tend to think that they know what these audience need i mean they know and others will follow and, and it's come from a lot of a lot of time with a big portion of patronism of okay they don't know they're just they have this disability they probably don't know they're probably not able to do a lot so i've that and that's it's missing the whole point. I feel like that's just missing the whole point of what you know tr- we're trying to do here. I, w- I would say, even in our case, we in the early days we you know you kind of do this SWOT analysis, right, and look what is your weaknesses as a company as well as a business. One of the weaknesses that we reali- realized in the early days, Gil and myself, that we're we're not the end users necessarily at the beginning, right? Maybe hopefully at the end we will. But nowadays we are not the end users, uh, and and that's hard. That's that's a huge challenge because we won't understand it through. Like some of our users told us, guys, you will never understand what you're really doing here, right? Because you have to talk us really close because you don't even understand what what you're doing in terms of of in a good way. By the way, they say in a very good way because you're changing a life in a way you don't even understand. Right. So it's it's uh, it's great to hear that. But on the other hand, it's a it's a huge challenge planning it f- further. So, by the way, that's one of the reasons we even called ourselves right here, because it's a kind of self reminder. That's the right thing to do is to hear or basically listen to, to our users. So, so I think this mantra of nothing about us without us or being close to your end users is even more critical in, in this type of solutions where there's a lot of patronism in the culture sometimes that you need to avoid and get as far as you can out of. Well, one of my last questions for you, it ties back into the first question that I asked. And like we said, you know, when you have all your senses, it's so easy to take that for granted. And you talked a little bit about some of the barriers like paying for an app and even just Braille, not everybody being able to use that. But what other big barriers do you see that need to be addressed in order to make the world a better place for those who are visually impaired? That's a great question. I, I th- and, and I have a very, maybe surprising, but I think a simple answer doesn't mean that it's simple to solve. You know, I feel like there is a lot of discussions around when talking about accessibility, a lot of first it was started with a lot of discussions around accessibility in technology in general. And then mostly, in, as I said, in the online sphere. So the awareness around the, the need for accessibility for website and documents is fairly very high. And it's a good thing. That's a great thing, actually. That's Fantastic. But there is other domains that need to have more attention, as I said, in the built environment as well. We're working on that. There are other companies and organizations that do great work around that to raise the awareness around accessibility in the physical sphere. But there is maybe another sphere or another aspect of accessibility. And it's not regarding to technology. It's regarding to behavior. I feel like, you know, every technology could be more accessible, but what we have to make sure that is truly accessible is us as a society, as people. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, if we, if we won't understand that we want to have an inclusive environment, that everyone is able, and putting the disability aside of that, because there are d- different, unique advanced way or not very advanced like with the cane to avoid the challenges to to overcome and address them in a very effective way 
Uh, once we realize that as I think as society uh, and we'll employ more and include more in our materials in our you know boardrooms and, and the society in general that would be the time where we really have an inclusive world so I feel and by the way maybe an anecdote here you know in every language the the word accessibility is obviously different in Hebrew uh, the word accessibility is negishut Okay, it's called negishut. And as part of this word, there's uh, the root of it, which is gisha. Uh, this is not a Hebrew lesson for those who lo lost that. But th the word gisha is attitude. And this is very interesting. Part of the, of the core uh, of the root of the word accessibility is attitude. So, and this is exactly what I'm talking about. I feel like it's, if we want to create this access, to whatever, technology, information, and building. It's not enough to build a ramp. It's not enough to put the screen reader. You have to make sure that the attitude of everyone involved are there as well. Uh, and I find it fascinating, you know, with language and words that sometimes it's kind of teaches something new about what we're doing. So yeah, I think like there's more to be done with the attitude in society, but there's great things that happening on the other, other fields, which is great. Was there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Yeah, well, maybe you can ask me, you know, how do the listeners can help us? That could, that could be a very helpful question, Aki, if you can ask me that. <laughs> that is, that's a very good question. How can our listeners help you out at, right here? Thank you for asking this great question. <laughs> so we are, we are in a mission to turn the world into a more accessible space for everyone, including, and most specifically, people who are blind or visually impaired. It's a 100% free app for them. Uh, the ones that pay for that are different venues, uh, facilities. So if one of the users here, wherever in the world, and we've been reached out from all around, so it doesn't matter where you are, Australia, UK, Canada, US, or anywhere in between, if you know a facility manager that care or should care more about accessibility and inclusion in his, in his own facility, please help us reach them. I can say the solution is relatively affordable. And one of the reasons we price our solution not too expensive is because we truly want to see it as ubiquitous and you know everywhere as, as it can. So if anyone in the listeners have some level of influence on a facility of his friend or his boss, or maybe he's the one who's managing the facility, please uh, contact us. I'll definitely possible. put it in the, in the description. And the last question that I have, what do you mm -hmm. have more space for in 2021? Hmm, what I have more space for, light? <laughs> more space for life well more space for myself I, I guess I did more more time for myself it's been a crazy year with all the lockdown so I kind of need to I think like a good retreat to myself and yeah maybe for optimism I feel like there's a uh, more space for even more space for optimism which kind of sticks to everyone you speak with so I was kind of promoting that as well I love that more space for light and optimism they go really well together so <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah exactly <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Idan. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity and happy to talk with everyone who's listening to us again uh, through email, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever works best for you. And yeah, keep your smile up. <laughs> <laughs> the Future of Now podcast is produced by More Space for Life. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, please stay safe, look after each other 
and as always, be awesome.